You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. Today's teaching is lesson number eight from Gentle and Lowly, covering chapters 17 and 18. How y'all doing? Everybody's been busy this week. I don't know. I could say, like, if you haven't had a crazy week, raise your hand. But I don't know from what I hear that anybody, anybody would have that. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here. It's hard to come out at night when it's dark. And I'm just so grateful that you're here. Um, this lesson, like all of them, Pam said the same thing last week, has really been intriguing to me since the beginning. Um, I love the ideas that Ortland shares, and I hope you do as well. Ema, you gave us such a beautiful prayer a few minutes ago. I'm just going to remind you of Ema's prayer, and we're going to jump right in. Okay, so lesson eight, uh, we have uh, a recurring theme involving God's faithfulness to be not only available for us, but also to desire that we come to him. No matter how awful or sinful we are, he is steadfast. It's because of who he is, he can't help it. Our lesson this week puts characteristic in a different framework, however. It's a different lens or perspective or way for us to view his limitless mercy and grace and forgiveness. We can, in our humanity, tend to believe that he is a bigger, smarter, stronger version of us. Now, I'm going to make a woefully inaccurate statement here in a minute, but um, we have learned in our study this week that he created us in his image, and uh, our image in and of itself is not anywhere near close to his. Therefore, we think of a God that could be, um, if we think of it this way, uh, incorrect, I want, let me say this again, because I don't want to mix up what I said. (laughs) He he created us in his image, but our image is in and of itself, not anywhere close to his. Therefore, what we think of God can be A, incorrect, B, massively inadequate, C, a force that actually leads us farther away from him, and or D, any number of other adverse and potentially harmful ideas. So, um, what I want to do is talk you through Isaiah 55, 6 through 13, kind of in three little segments tonight, beginning with 6 to 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon I'm pausing for a moment here because the word while jumped out at me. Isaiah encouraged the people to seek the Lord while he may be found and to call on him while he is near. If we were to rewind a bit in Isaiah, we're reminded that his prophecies are powerful and focused on the coming of Christ Jesus the Messiah. Chapters 53 and 54 describe the coming of the Messiah as well as his suffering. In chapter 55, now Isaiah conveys God's message inviting the people to come to him to listen. Isaiah is saying, do this now, seek him now. It didn't mean that the Lord would be hiding. It didn't mean that he only had certain office hours and you didn't want to miss them. It didn't mean that those who might wait to call him up would just reach his voicemail with no chance to leave a message, right? No, but Isaiah spoke with urgency. He spoke about now. This amazing prophet who decades earlier had seen the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, who responded to the Lord's question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
He said with total passion, here am I, send me. Isaiah lived out his life in obedience to God and he wanted the people to seek and call upon the Lord. So when we read his words, it's kind of neat to just think about who he was. There was an urgency in 681 BC and there's an urgency today. For each soul, there's urgency. We find him when our hearts desire him, which is a gift he lovingly and unwaveringly makes available to us. There will ultimately come a time for each of us individually when it could be too late, as well as a time at the end when both the living and the dead will be judged. So then and now the message remains, seek him while we still can, don't wait. Now verses eight and nine, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So let's camp out on the word thoughts first. My initial impression was all about knowledge. This is probably the biggest understatement, but here's the statement I wanted to make for you. God is very smart. Okay, so that is an understatement. We know he's omniscient. That's a long way beyond being just smart. And I admit that I probably fell into that idea that thoughts are based on and connected to knowledge. So his thoughts above mine are thoughts based on what he knows. But thoughts, as Ortland mentioned, encompass much more here. He likens God's thoughts to plans, devices, intentions, purposes, much broader than just random ideas or knowledge with infinitely greater depth and meaning, yet laser focused on his plan and his desires for us. And then there's the matter of ways and distance. So verse nine, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is spatially so far away from us. We don't know exactly where the heavens, that's plural, heavens are. And actually we could take the whole rest of the evening just talking about what we know and wonder uh, and don't know about the heavens, but time prohibits that. There are at least three heavens and if you're interested, I'll find you some more information. It's fascinating to me, but we'll stay on track for now and stick with higher. Calvin pointed out that our perceived enormous gulf, that great distance, is not the intention here. Instead, God's heart is inviolably, expansively, invincibly set on us as if he and we are one. Moreover, Ortland sharing Calvin, I'm gonna read this slowly and then I'm gonna read it again. Ortland sharing Calvin, focusing on Isaiah 55's true message through the writings of still other commentators. This is on page 159 in your book. Ortland, who is sharing Calvin, who was focused on Isaiah 55's true message through the writings of still other commentators. I don't know if that jumped out at you, but I thought, whew, that's a whole lot of brain power there. And Ortland, representing all these great minds, then says to us, there's a distinction between God's disposition and man's disposition. Not just random thoughts or ways, but disposition. Where we might be motivated by anger, the desire for revenge or judgment, and the impression that we could not ever be what God wants us to be, our Lord is nothing like we are. His ways and his divine disposition, I love this, is a photo negative of our natural fallen disposition. And praise God that this is so. 
Calvin stated, never will a man freely open his mouth to praise God unless he is fully persuaded that God, even when he's angry with his people, never lays aside his fatherly affection toward them. He doesn't limit himself to working with the unspoiled parts of us that remain after a lifetime of sinning. His power runs so deep that he's able to redeem the very worst parts of our past and turn them into the most radiant parts of our future. But we need to bring our dark miseries to him. So let's move to verses 12 and 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So why myrtle and cypress? Well, there's two rows there, and if you kind of look at the top row first, we'll just talk about thorns and go across. So the apostle Paul uh, told of a thorn in his side, a messenger of Satan to buffet him from pride and self-dependence. Thorns are like a painful, dry wilderness. Some people have thorny personalities, volatile reactions, and a crown of thorns, like you see there, pierced the precious head of our Lord. Now contrast this with Cyprus. In ancient Israel, Cyprus represented healing, uprightness, evergreen, eternal life. Cyprus trees are long living and they are able to endure harsh climates and poor soil. And then soil. And then if you look at the bottom row, briars symbolize great scarcity or drought. And myrtle, a slow-growing, fragrant tree, which is always green with big, beautiful blossoms and a strong root system. Even when a myrtle is cut to a stump, its roots will cause it to sprout and grow again. So ultimately, this verse symbolizes the replacement of God's judgments with salvation, and it's salvation that nourishes us, just like those beautiful trees. Thorns and briars hurt. They're brittle and dry and sharp. They symbolize pain that we have endured and pain that we've inflicted on others, whereas myrtle and cypress actually point to Jesus and all we have in him. We're growing in him with a strong root system that he causes to sprout and bloom. He's making us strong and able to withstand harsh battles and spaces with dry and parched soil. Now, have you ever heard someone say, I don't get mad, I just get even? So God never says that. God never says that. No, he is not like us. Yes, we are made in his image. And throughout these chapters, through all the themes of his overwhelming love and compassion and grace and mercy, in spite of our sinfulness, we are chosen to receive that forgiveness through the greatest sacrifice ever made once for all. We can be the recipients of the greatest love if only we trust. Thank God his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And lastly, let's turn to bowels. It's what you've all been waiting for, right? Okay. <laughs> Jeremiah thirty-one twenty, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. The glorious message in this middle of Jeremiah, the book of consolations, is our focus. Chapter 31 speaks of redemption and unity and joy for Israel. 
I'm just going to visit three terms that Ortland mentioned, each in turn, to show how they might aid in our understanding of the weight of this very short passage. So consider the first, remember, and then you see it, dash covenant. Ortland tells us that the word remember is covenant language in this scripture. It's relational. God didn't forget Israel. Remembering is not the alternative to forgetting, but the alternative to forsaking. A covenant's a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. Covenants are often accompanied by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. They define obligations and commitments, but they're different from contracts because they are relational and personal. Within the gospel, a covenant means a sacred agreement or mutual promise between God and a group of people or a person. In making a covenant, God promises a blessing for obedience to particular commandments. He alone sets the terms of his covenants. If you studied Exodus with us or Genesis before that, you remember that God made both conditional and unconditional covenants with the Israelites. In other words, God is aware of the covenants he made to his people in the past. He never forgets. He's faithful to keep his covenants and will see Israel through the fulfillment of every covenant, including the new covenant he made with Jesus' sacrifice for us. So that remember is really emphasizing that covenant. Now bowels, AKA heart, which is represented by a couple of different Hebrew words. Ortland spoke of lave from Lamentations 3.3, he does not afflict from his heart, to mean heart as we understand it. But then, we learn the Hebrew word mia, indicative of the insides of a person, the guts, and therefore the word bowels. You've heard of a term guttural reaction, referring to something that emanates from deep within. Our bodies have many defense systems and backup systems, including the fight or flight response to stressors. Think back to a time when something suddenly either frightened or distressed you to the point that you felt a literal stomach flip-flop, a gripping. It's hard to describe, but once you feel it, you know what it is, and I'm guessing that probably everyone in here has experienced that. Well, we know that God doesn't have a literal, physical, digestive system like we do, but the Spirit gave Jeremiah the word Mia here to clearly relay the strength of his emotion, something to which we can relate. Briefly, and just let me say, this didn't happen through bazillions of years of evolution. Let me just say it clearly, God wired us God wired us with such complexity, and one of our major blessings is our fight or flight reaction when confronted with something that creates sudden fear or anxiety. Our bodies instantaneously respond to the threat, whatever it is, and call out the reserve to save us. Our sympathetic nervous system triggers release of several hormones which in turn affect nearly every organ and system in our bodies. Our pulse and respiratory rate increase, blood vessels constrict or dilate so blood flow can be redirected to those areas we need to mobilize, such as muscles, to run or fight. Senses, visual fields, sounds, smells. When all that blood is redirected so quickly, areas like our digestive tract suddenly lose blood volume. Blood volume. Now think about it. Have you ever faced a sudden emergency and felt like you just needed to have a cheeseburger before you dealt with it? 
probably not. No, you're not hungry then. No, no, no. Because blood volume drops so quickly though, your stomach feels like it dropped into your feet. And that's the Mia, it gets your attention. So think of that power. And also just be amazed at how God created our bodies. So the third and last word now is yearns, and we're combining that with the first two, expressed by the Hebrew word hama, restless. Not unlike the bowels from the vision above, you may have experienced a momentary total insecurity, sadness, a powerful emotion, something that you needed to identify. That is hama, restless, agitated, growling. It goes way beyond a desire. It becomes an immediate necessity. God yearns for us with his entire being. And because that hama, that necessity to him is so strong, it leads God to mercy, great mercy. In fact, Ortland described it as the yearning heart of God delivers and re-delivers sinners who find themselves drowning in the sewage of their life. Out of his heart flows mercy, out of ours reluctance to receive it. If this is true of God, how much more of Christ? His heart truly does confound our intuitions of who he really is. And if the Father desires so faithfully and so powerfully, how much more the Son who dwelt among us and understood us from a man's point of view. As we have previously learned, it's not optional. He wants us, he made a way for us to be together for eternity. He is relentless in his compassion for us, regardless of our wrongs. So sins and sufferings, the tension between divine justice and divine mercy, it's all there, ladies, in what you've read. And our part of this relationship is to realize he is not us. He is higher in thoughts and ways. He wants us, needs us to bring all of our messes to him, those that are our fault and those that are not our fault. So we just need to bring them and fear not and repent and let him love us. Father, thank you so much for this time, Lord. I thank you for all the people um, in, in years, decades, centuries, and millennia um, before our time who loved you and who knew you and who wanted to communicate that, who wanted to share with others through word and through written word, and that has just come down through the ages, Lord. And thank you that we're able now to just retrieve all that wonderful information and to look at your scripture and to hear your words. I'm just so grateful, Lord. I pray that you'll bless our time tonight as we talk through these chapters. In Jesus' name, amen. 